Hello, you're listening to Film Graves. I'm Emmett. I'm Sam. We're from the rock and roll band Phil Graves, and we're here once again to talk about cinema. Mm. Yep, we've been joined today by a very special guest, Melly Modi, founder of Second Run DVD. Since 2005, Second Run have been putting out banger after banger, <laughs> um, classics of world cinema, new films by the likes of Pedro Costa, Pitchbungwira Sefkal. Every film that I've seen put out by Second Run has been a stunner. Um, thank you so much for joining us no, today. That's music to my ears. No, that's <laughs> just amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad we found each other. One of the most recent films you put out is Zibinek Brinix and The Fifth Horseman is Fear, a sensational Czech film from, I think, 1965, yeah. a film that has quite a checkered, uh, like a lot of these ex Eastern Bloc films, very checkered distribution history. A lot of different runtimes. Um, yeah, exactly. So I, I think the copy Second Runner putting out has restored some scenes that um appeared lost in yeah, I mean, um, fifth horseman's fear is very much like an ideal second run release mm. because it's a film from a you know from a country we love it's a film that was not treated properly when it came out it was also a film which uh, in those days certain american producers would and people like Rod, we have another film called Ikari XP1, mm. where the... The, oh, the, the sci-fi film. The right? sci-fi yeah. film. Um, I'm, I'm jumping out from Fifth Horseman's oh, Fair, but cool. to give you a little back. <laughs> so Ikari was bought by uh, Roger Corman's company. Mm. Oh, really? Uh, and that's what they used to do. They'd come, they would buy Japanese films, European films, they'd... In the case of Ikari, everything gets changed. You know, the credits become, it's, you know, it's made by Jack someone. Oh um, they re-edit it. <laughs> but for Ikari, they actually change the ending. Mm. And the ending just is the perfect ending for a film like Ikari. And they just changed it. They made it like a planet of the apes. It lands and... It's the earth, you know, it's that yeah. kind of thing. So Fifth Horseman is Fear was bought by Carlo Ponti, mm. who was Sophia Loren's husband and a big, big producer. And they would buy films from Eastern Europe. And they added sequences rather than taking out sequences. Okay. Because the film is so careful in not saying what its time period is. Mm. It, you know, it's, you know, it's obviously, you know, during the Nazi occupation, but it doesn't tell you that. Mm -hmm. You just see it around. But it also intercuts with 60s Prague. Mm. Mm. So, you know, there's something he wants to say about that as well. So there's nothing in it which isolates it as a Nazi-themed mm. uh, film. And Carlo Ponti wanted something to make it easier for... Americans, etc., to understand rather than be left with, uh, you know, mm. what is this? So he asked, uh, he wanted to create some kind of slightly sexy scenes where Nazi officers could uh, meet naked girls, you know, that kind of stuff. And Brinick said, if you're doing that because, you know, you have the rights now because you bought it from the Czechs, at least let me film it. 
So in a way, it's it's only been seen with those sequences in countries like Italy or the States. Mm. It's never been seen in its original version anywhere. So what we decided to do, we found a VHS copy from Italy. <laughs> and we had to take out the sequences and add them as extras, mm. not... You know, some people would have built them into the film itself by what they call seamlessly branching it. Mm -hmm. But we didn't do that. We just gave them as extras because that wasn't the film that Brenich wanted. And uh, the response we've had to that film has been really wonderful, um, especially since it hadn't been seen here for a long, long, long time. So I don't know whether that's because the context is there in this release because you've got words by um, even a current... Uh, what had happened with Brinnick was he went, he left Czechoslovakia and went to Germany. And he made films in Germany and they're all these policiers. They're all... Yeah. I don't know if you've seen any of them, but they're really interesting. Well, we were just talking about Christian Petzold off mic and even he's made I yes. think, three episodes yeah. of that. <laughs> so, and, and I think Brinnick's been the godfather for many of them. Mm. Um, I mean, not personally, but in terms of uh, the films, because mm. he made a lot of TV series. So Dominic Graf, I don't know if you've come across Dominic Graf, who is, well. um, I think Edinburgh did a full retrospective a few years ago. He makes TV and feature film, but all of crime and things like that, but beautifully. So we had him writing about this film and Brinich, and then these lost sequences. And so it gives it a complete context as to why we believe it's so important. Um, you know, without that, how do we convince people to, you know, look at them? I, th I think that's one of the things that I value, well, I was going to say that I value most, but one of the things that I value about second-run DVDs is, yeah, these booklets, which always contain, like, a very nicely written essay about, as you said, the film, the filmmaker... And yeah, the context is so important for understanding these. I just wanted to jump into one thing you said about um, sort of timelessness or like mm -hmm. atemporality of The Fifth Horseman. And I've heard um, Brunick talk about Kafka and obviously he's, um, you know, the master of that like sort of... Yes, could be anywhere. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, even people are stripped of their names and, you know, mm -hmm. everything's like coded. Um, there was also a beautiful quote that I read from Brinnick about oh. the films of the Czech New Wave. He's talking about him and his peers. And he says, um, all films we made are a frontal attack on the question mark hanging over human values. Mm. Um, and I sometimes struggle to uh, sort of categorise Czech New Wave films, especially because... A lot of them are very playful, but then there's also this earlier generation. Their films, uh, people like Karl uh, Kachner and um, if you and Franciszek Wachil, uh, of course. Um, yeah. So you know the history of the Czech New Wave is sort of like I think still not properly written, but I think that quote like summed up like what they were trying to achieve. These sort of anti-bureaucratic, anti-ideological yes. films, yes. but still with like a strong socialist undercurrent because they were socialists. Because they were socialists. No, it's, you're absolutely... I've not read that quote, but you're right. I think Brinnick was one of those really unsung people in terms of 
outside Czechoslovakia. We released another film of his called Transport from Paradise, mm. which I don't know if you've seen. I haven't. I, that's another Holocaust drama. It, that's well. a Holocaust drama. But what, what Brinich wanted to do there is it was filmed in Terezin, Terezinstadt, because when the Nazis were sending people there, it was early and the Red Cross wanted to make a visit. So essentially what they did is they created this wonderful um, town of Teresensart where you had musicians playing and you could go down the streets and there were fairs and children looking happy, etc. Just in time. Just for, <laughs> just for the uh, Red Cross to come and see and go back and say, yeah, it's okay, they're looking after them. Um, so he made that film because that's, that wasn't that well known at the time because he did, with a lot of the, that period in Eastern and Central Europe, I guess it happens with us now too, um, the people didn't know what really went on. And mm -hmm. I guess for you know, Germany must be a, a, you know, the perfect example of that. Uh, so Brinich wanted to make this film and it was based on a book by someone who'd actually been in Terenstadt. And what you have in the film is you can find clips of that actual film that was shot. So you've got the filmmaker, I mean, you've got, a, you've got another filmmaker shooting this, I don't know, how do you even call it, fairy tale, mm. I guess. Um, so there's so much going on in those things. And they would never sit quietly in that time. You know, if you look at Daisies with Khitilova or Intimate Lighting or any of those films, they really wanted to tell you. Mm. And it wasn't easy. Yeah. Well, I mean, they all got banned and half of them couldn't make a film again. Someone like Pavel Juracek. Yes. Um, Jan yeah. uh, Niemec. Yes. Um, yes, all yeah, of them are uh, like... Couldn't make another film no. for like 20 years yes, or something. Was, yes, that's right. And they um, were, you know, I mean, Nemetz, you know, his film that we first released was called The Party and the Guests, mm. which we're going to release again on Blu-ray. Great. The majority of films, or the greatest number of films that you've released on Second Run have been from Czechoslovakia or Slovakia or the Czech Republic. Yeah. Um, and Poland. Want, and, mm -hmm. yeah, oh, well, lesser. for sure. But I, I mean, I think there are yeah, like 40 right. films from the Czech Republic. Yes, from the oh, well, because they're so great. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's hard to know why this has kind of come about without sort of knowing how it started. Mm -hmm. I grew up with cinema. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> my family were in the film business. Okay. Mm. Uh, my father was a, a producer, director, actor. And my mother was an actress. So we grew, I grew up in, you know, cinema. We had cinemas uh, as distributors, exhibitors as well. So what happened in India was, I'm sorry, this is in Bombay. This is like child of the 60s. And what happened in India was it was a non-aligned country. And at that time, America was trying to be friendly and the Soviets were trying to be friendly. And of course... The Soviets said, how come the Americans, I mean, everybody in India knows that culture and knows all about, you know, they dress like them. They, you know, there was James Dean. There was all that stuff at that time. And some just said, yes, it's the films that have brought that across. So they said, well, we should 
send them our films. And so what they did was they started sending Polish, not Russian, interestingly, Polish, Czech and uh, Hungarian films, um, and nobody went to see them. <laughs> Except me, I used to see them. Because there was this little cinema club, mm. and every film that came, we would watch at night, because in India there's a, there was a huge censorship issue. Nothing could be released until the censors had seen it. And if there was a kiss, it was cut. You know, it was that kind wow. of thing. But because we were exhibitors and had a cinema, it would come to us first to go to the censors. And on that journey, we would watch them at night. <laughs> and it was like, you know, you mentioned Nemetz. The first film I saw in all that was Diamonds of the Night. And I could not believe what I was watching. That film has never left me. And, you know, I, I was, I mean, this was like late 60s even when we saw it. I think it came later than it was made. You know, that opening 20-minute sequence is just like, it's an how did they do it? Yeah, it's an you know, considering the cameras were that size mm. in those days. Mm. Um, anyway, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people haven't seen it, so I shouldn't... Um, Assume things. Well, it's basically a chase sequence yeah, or through sort of woods. pursuit. Yeah, yeah, through a, through a forest uphill. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just mm, yeah. And, it, and again, that's another one that now that's been based also on the same writer as Transport from Paradise. Oh, interesting. So I was saying to Emma earlier, um, I was on the YouTube uh, looking for material about uh, Nemets, and um, there was an American uh, TV show in the 80s because we were thinking about how people saw these films and I uh, it was like a half hour sort of panel talk on like I'm not actually sure what channel it was but at the beginning they showed the film and then they talk about it for half an hour and they had unfortunately I can't remember the writer's name but he was there as well Um, and yeah I just you know for me now it feels like these films are almost a given that we can we can Watch access them, them, yes. And in no small part due to your endeavours. Oh, um, and, you know, I guess more digital access now. And it's just a completely different landscape of consuming film. I find it so hard to imagine something like the Czech New Wave being viewed. Because, you know, you hear stories about films winning Best Foreign Language Oscar or something like that. Closely Watch Trains. Yeah, exactly. Um, Shop on the High Street. Oh, oh yeah. Also. Yeah, classics. Yeah. But compared to myself as a viewer today where I feel like I would only come across these sorts of films at film festivals or whatever and Thor or not um, it's hard to imagine these films competing with I mean I I sound like one of these people I sound like one of these people who introduces days and says says it's not a the Avengers or something. Like Michael that. Haneke. No. <laughs> I mean, at least that's... But, you know, he does make the same film. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I'm a sucker but, for it, though. I thought Happy End was one of my favourites. Oh, I agree. Happy <laughs> End was really... So with Diamonds of the Night, um, it's interesting because it's a 68-minute film. Yeah. And in those 68 minutes, it tells you everything you need to know. And without dialogue, almost. And when we re-released it on Blu-ray, again the context that we could provide was the daughter of the writer did an interview about it. So, you know, again, if you see that film without any knowledge, it has a certain kind of impact, but if you see it with slightly more knowledge or after seeing it, you look 
at the at, at the materials like the extras and the booklet, etc. I think it adds a lot more. And then you can really tell why it's... See, it was so important at first, Simon Emmett, that we... You know, when we started, I had no idea whether anybody would care. You know, what is this... You know, our first... We, when we started, we started with... We could have started earlier, but I, I wanted it not to be ghettoized. Okay. So I didn't want people to think, oh, it's a documentary label, or it's the... Uh, gay-themed label, mm, sure. or it's... So uh, this is uh, Nicola Philippa's um, In the Land of the Dead. Exactly. And, um, I remember Ron seeing... And Ron Peck's Nightmare. Yeah. And uh, uh, Nighthawks, and... Uh, uh, although whenever you look for Nighthawks, you come up with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nighthawks, and Strip Jack Naked, which I don't know if you've seen. Mm-hmm. That's a, a kind of documentary about his life. And it, it just captures that entire period beautifully. You've put out quite a lot of documentaries, actually. Uh, I don't know if you'd like to speak about that. Well, document. I mean, I I just look on them as films. Sure, I, yeah. I don't look at them as documentaries in a sense. But for example, we did David Holzman's diary in the early period. Again, I don't know if you've seen it, but I'd really recommend you see that because that was like the first of the faux documentaries. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was made by you know a filmmaker called Jim McBride, who went on to make a lot of American independent films. Yeah, the names are very familiar. To me. Yeah, he uh, now he's a teacher because again, as with all these filmmakers, after a while, nobody wants to give them the money to make films anymore. And Jim was terrific. He made he made a film with he made the. American remake of Abu Sufal. He made <laughs> Breath Rise. Yeah, That's yeah. where you know his. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. So, this film, which was his first film, starred uh, an actor called Kit Carson, mm-hmm. who then went on to produce things like uh, the Wenders film, Paris, Texas, worked with Hopper, you know, all mm-hmm. kinds of that American independent scene. And the cameraman was a guy called Michael Wadley, who did. Woodstock and things like that. So these were all, you know, good professionals. You always get the feeling these people are very switched on when you're watching their films in the 60s and 70s. Yes, there is something about it, isn't there? So when he made this documentary, no one knew about faux documentaries. Mm. And apparently there was a can screening of it. And it was roundly booed at the end because people saw a credit list coming up with actors yes. <laughs> and they felt you know they'd been conned and it's almost like the first <laughs> of those films so yeah. you know to me you know is that a and, and it talked about therefore it talks about documentaries and you know does what do you do with editing it do you you know what's truth what's fiction how do you meld them it's a selection of what you put into it so is a documentary ever really a documentary mm because somebody has been editing it, uh, etc. And all those things were talked about in David Holzman's diary, which was made now 60 years ago. <laughs> and so for me, there's no documentary as such. Unless it's a one-shot film. Unless it's, yeah, it's camera <laughs> hand still, you know, <laughs> a kind of James Benning yeah, just yeah, watching yeah. the... Um, <laughs> so 
I've always looked on them as just films yeah. and, and released them as films. But you're right, because there's some wonderful documentary films. Uh, you know, Checkmate, we were talking about. That's yes. a documentary. So that's a seven-hour Indian film about the Czech director, Yuzi Menzel, um, a sort of tribute to, to and him. And every other Czech Czechoslovak <laughs> director, <laughs> yeah. live or dead now. Yes. So. Sounds sounds amazing. So that's kind of the closest to a documentary as I would see it. But you know, Philly Bear's film too, I mean, it's such a beautiful film. And a little aside on Philly Bear, I really love him because, okay, I'm jumping back, I'm sorry. So I used to see all these films, you know, all these Central and East European films. And almost everything I saw remained in my head. You know, I saw Yancho there and it was like you know, it was amazing as an education. Then when I came to England, you could still see these films on television. My dad always talks about watching Zabo films on Channel 4 and stuff like that. And I can't believe the words that are coming out. And, crazy. you know, there were, there were people introducing them. There was, you know, uh, the, the retrospectives, Bresson. And, you know, I mean, just all those things would happen. And then it all stopped. And come the sort of 80s and 90s, it became like... Very hard for a subtitled film that wasn't, you know, a Michael Haneke kind mm-hmm. of film mm-hmm. to be seen. So all these films gradually got lost. It was also running alongside the fact that things were going digital. So they were asking cinemas to chuck out their projectors. Yeah. Of course. Now, the minute they did that, it meant that if anything only existed on 35, you couldn't see it anymore. And so what happened was there were a number of films I wanted to see, like the ones I had seen, and I couldn't find them anywhere. But it was the start of the DVD thing. And at that time, for DVDs, you suddenly, unlike VHS, you had something in the right aspect ratio. (laughs) Um, You know, the subtitles could be good. um, And... Because DVDs could become multi-region, you could buy things from all over the world. Mm. So the internet comes along same time. And suddenly, if you're a DVD collector, it's like heaven. Because, you know, you can go to America and buy Criterion. You can go to the East and buy things from Hong Kong, etc. Of course, the studios tried very hard to not let that happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, So that the hardware you bought which were like Sony, etc., the big majors, you could only see the region in which you bought it. But of course, the Koreans thought, this is great, we'll make us multi-region. We won't say it's multi-region, but when you buy <laughs> one, there'll be a little slip inside. That's what really it really was. It was a little slip of paper in the box which said, press this, press that, press that. <laughs> and you were multi-region. Um, I think Sony and all are still having trouble not making it multi-region. It's more difficult with Blu-ray, of course. But with DVD, it then became so easy. So the internet, you could see things across territories. You had forums springing up everywhere talking about cinema. You know, suddenly people had a place where they could go, cinephiles and things, they could go and talk about all this, whilst TV's not showing anything, the cinemas in your country are not showing anything. So when I wanted something, I thought, I can't find it anywhere, it's not on DVD. Is there anything that we can do 
that would allow us to release those films. You know, just the films we love, nothing else. And can one actually do that? So when we started, it was like, you know, nobody may care. You know, they might think, yeah, I mean, you know, what is this film, The Ear, that you've just put out? And, you know, why would I want to see it? So we decided not to start with one genre. We said, let's wait, let's start with 20. So we started with 20, in which you had documentaries, you had gay-themed films, you had foreign films from Asia. Uh, we did the first uh, Apichatpong film, which, again, nobody had released. I'm a huge exponent of Mysterious Object at Noon. I think it's so brilliant, like, bit of a hard one to well, sell. That people. was lost until we did it recently. Really? The first one we released was this film called Blissfully Yours. Mm which was his second film, mm. but again had never been released. And then Tropical Malady, which had been released, but nobody wanted to put it out on home video in the UK. Sure. So you, you've also recently put out Sai Ming Liang's Goodbye Dragon in, Goodbye, a yeah. film that recently I think has had something of a renaissance, maybe in part due to the release. Also, um, Nick Pinkerton wrote a book about it. You're a huge yes, fan, Emma. That's right. Well, it's Fireflies the... book. <laughs> yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, I'm get, I've yeah. got the James Benning one coming next week oh. as well. It's because they closed the cinemas, though. That's that's mm. got to be why it took on such a resonance. Why it but hit something? Yeah, I think so. Moment. Because so many of my friends watched that for the first time, never seen a Simon Lang film before. Okay. I remember seeing Stray Dogs in the cinema about seven or eight years ago and changed everything for me. But it's so funny that that is a film that's like really caught on, and now it's in now it's screening in London cinemas every six weeks. <laughs> Yeah. No, we've had so many screenings yeah. of it now, and now America want to do it too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not from us, but it's via Sai, which is great. But shall I tell you a little story about yes, Sai Ming Liang? Okay, so there are certain filmmakers whose work I'm desperate to release. Mm. One of them is a German filmmaker called Fred Kellerman. He was, or is, the cinematographer of Bellatar's films. Oh, okay. And okay. And he was his own. I mean, he made his own films in the eighties, uh, uh, which are like amazing films, the early ones. But they're only on either sixteen millimeter or thirty-five millimeter because a lot of those filmmakers felt, and Simon Lang was one of them too, that I don't want anybody to see this film except in a cinema. Right. On a print. Mm. So, Kellerman was somebody that I, I met because of Pedro Costa, and he'd come to London, and I just went and met him, and we talked, and I tried to tell him what we were doing. And of course, people like Yancho are, you know, Miklos Yancho is like their god as well. Sure. There's a whole thing on Yancho which I must come back to. Yeah, Remind me, please. Don't, don't you okay. worry. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, the. the and Kellerman, we sat, I still remember he was at the Barbican, we were sitting in the calf there, and I'm trying to convince him, look, two things. One, unless you digitize your films, they will in time disappear. Because you're not letting anybody see them unless it's on that 16 millimeter print that you've got in the archive somewhere. And he said, I know, but I just, you know, I feel also if it's on DVD and things, it will get pirated, etc. And I tried to tell him, because I remember my father saying this to me. He said, yes, it's the money, but the filmmaker wants his work to be seen. Like you as a musician, mm -hmm. you can sit and create, but until 
somebody hears it, I'm sure you don't get the same feeling for it. Absolutely. So I was sitting there trying to convince Kellerman and saying, look, there are people from, you know, everywhere who would, yes, some of it may be pirated, and that's exactly what Simon Liang thought as well, but it means they get to see it. And the way to avoid that is to try and release it in a really good way, mm. you know, with the right context, mm-hmm. etc. So Fred thought about it, and then the next time we met, which was at that festival I was telling you about in New Horizons, um, he said, I've had emails lately from people in um, Asia saying, Mr. Kellerman, we heard about you. We've seen the work you've done with Bellatar but we can't see your films anywhere. Why don't you please release it, you know, on DVD so we can access them? And he said, okay, let's do it. (laughs) But his work hasn't been digitized yet. The German Cinematheque will hopefully do it. Uh, Now, Simon Liang was different in that he was more 90s onwards. Mm. But Goodbye Dragon Inn is a film that, you know, I've just been trying for years. And nobody has it. Nobody released it. And then the Tate did a kind of retrospective of his newer work, but also showed Goodbye Dragon Inn. Mm. The person running the Tate cinema at that time was a man called Andrea Lissoni. He's gone now to Munich. And Andrea rang me and said, Ah, Melly, we've got Simon. He knew how much I cared for this. He said, do you want to do the discussion after the screening with Simon Liang? And I said, that's, I mean, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not a critic. I'm not a writer. Why are you asking me? There's so many people who could do this. And he said, we want something different. We don't want that. And I know how much you care about the film. And so we want it to be personal. So I managed to get Simon Liang. And that whole evening, all I talked about with him was about releasing this film. I mean, it looked so beautiful on the big screen. And it was a full house, and we had a lovely conversation. And his producer was there, and we talked about this. And he said, I will think about it. In the meantime, Venice, uh, in the meantime, they restored it. And Venice showed the restoration. And as part of that screening, because it had one... 20 years ago or something, the prize. And so they showed that restoration. And Sai was there. Uh, it was 2019, I think. It was just pre-pandemic. And Sai did a choreographed performance with the film. I wish wow. I'd been there to see it. Oh wow. God. Like a Benchy or something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds insane. I mean, it what just sounds like insane. So I said to him, look, you saw the reaction from the people. Please please let me release this film. And he said, I'll think about it. And then about three, four months later, I had a message from his producer saying, Director Sai has been thinking and he's happy to let you do it. And I just thought, okay, I'm, you know, we'll release it as soon as we can so he can't change his mind. <laughs> and he was terrific with us. He did a lovely interview. I don't know if you have the disc. It was, it was the okay. only thing I wanted for Christmas last year. And, uh, oh, oh I got it. how nice. And this year, what will you go for? I'll tell you later which one. <laughs> uh, so we did, I mean, he, he gave us a, 
a short film that's never been released yeah. and and he did an interview i mean he was really wonderful and the response was terrific and so you know we would always send him every review every you know just so that he although his english is not you know you kind of he understands but he doesn't speak fluently uh and then days came out i don't know if you saw that just a couple of our last episode was about it partly oh, oh yeah and it speaks about it oh i must have a okay. i'll send it to you yeah yeah did you like it we're releasing it nah yes amazing <laughs> yeah it just showed at curzon yeah i was there yeah yeah were you there and he was the he was on zoom thing yeah, yeah he yeah. was oh, okay I, I had a couple of questions i really wanted to ask uh, but, okay um uh, yes and i mean he came across really well didn't he so well yeah um it's such an interesting distinction with director size films where we were talking about this on the last episode where in taiwan Stray Dogs was screened in galleries, yes. but Your Face got a cinematic release. Oh, really? You know? Okay. Um, which kind of reminds oh, me of your talking about the porous border between like documentary film and yeah. Yeah. fiction film. I think especially for Sai, because yeah. you know he went off making films for cinema, and he started making what he felt was things to show in galleries. Mm. But gradually, they've kind of crossed over so we're doing days and with it we're doing a film you know that his muse is okay yeah oh you should, afternoon yes haven't seen it yet oh wait. okay yeah. so, <laughs> so we're doing days and afternoon together because that kind of makes sense it's about their relationship as well uh and so on and what he's just done literally yesterday uh because artwork for us is really important you know the whole thing when we started was how do you make how do you kind of try to distinguish yourself from from others so people can recognize what you are and what had happened then was uh we had a marketing um sales and promotion company not ours but we you know we used a distributor and they in our first set of releases all i wanted was the name of the film and the name of the director that's it and they said you're crazy why would anybody pick up this film that they don't know it doesn't have any five stars on the cover exactly right? <laughs> and they're award winning films why doesn't it have all those laurels and all that and i said no this is not about that and yes it'll take time but gradually people will understand why we're doing this mm. and the whole thing is we have to get people to trust us to give them what we really love sure. in the right way. And so, you know, that's how we started and that's how we've always been. And one of the films was the Yancho film called The Red and the White. Melly, I'm so glad you brought up Miklos Yancho, really one of my favorite filmmakers and a filmmaker whose films you've put out quite a lot of them. Well, we got My Way Home, The Roundup, The Confrontation, Red Sam, Electra I Love and I think the most recent one was Silence and Cry which is just an amazing film. Also so much more important Hungarian cinema Istvan Szabó, Károly Malk, Marta Mezorosh um recently put out a Blu-ray of her film Adoption. There was also a retrospective at the at the BFI yeah. and I think on Mubi. Yeah. I saw Diary for My Children at the BFI. It was amazing on the big screen. Even more though I think the earliest film on the second run label is Ishvan Sotz's 
Yes, people, people of the of mountains, mountains from yes. the early 40s. Very recently, Emmett and I watched Ildiko and Yeti's My 20th Century, a film from the, uh, I think, 89, and just a truly beautiful film about the end of the 19th century, the dawn of modernity, yeah. all these, like, you know, classic themes of <laughs> art. <laughs> um, you have disclosed to us that Coming Soon is a box set of Hungarian classics. Do you want to walk us through what we've got sure, there? It includes sure. one of my favourite sure. films of all time, so I might ring the klaxon when you okay. say the name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, shall I... Do you want to talk a little bit about Jancho first? Because in a sense... Yes. Or shall I go straight into what you've just um, said? Whatever. Oh, let's let's, it let's talk about Jancho. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about... It probably makes most sense to talk box set, but yes. let's talk about Jancho well, for a minute. what's happened is, as you know, Hungarian films, we released a lot. Mm-hmm. Jancho was at the forefront of this. And we'll come back to Yancho. But for the last three or four years, we've not been able to release many because the whole Hungarian situation went through a change. And we had thought we were going to release more, but the demands were not of a sort that we could deal with. Mm. So we kind of, you know, it was fine. There was nothing we could do about that. Fast forward four, five years, four years, and... I guess, I mean, I, I don't mean it in that way, but I guess there is nobody else doing that kind of stuff that we are doing. And so I think they realize too that here they are going through a huge restoration process. And I'd always said to them, if you restored these films, that's great. But how are you going to get people to see them? Mm. What's the point of restoring them if you're not... I mean, no, they restore them because they get EU funding and all that, none of which we'll get anymore. Mm. But it needs to be seen. So anyway, they came back and we agreed a deal of a large number of films in our terms, which will keep us going for the next you know, three years of Hungarian releases. So and exciting. the first thing is, it's 120 years of Hungarian cinema, it's 100 years of Miklos Jancsó, and it's 90 years of Marta Mezsáros. So it was essential that we did something this year. So we did adoption, as you said, for Martha, and we decided let's do a set of 120 years and take three films, because we can't make it bigger. You know, it puts us out of the market completely then. They're all Blu-rays, they're all restored, and they're three of the many masters. Um, and what we have in there is a Yancho film as well because that's his 100th year. Mm. We have a film by a man called Istvan Gal, who, again, I don't think has been seen here, although his films, uh, you know, films like The Falcon, I mean, they're wonderful films, but they haven't been seen here. And then a very key person called Zoltan Fabri. There it and is. I can see Sam smiling. Okay. <laughs> That's the name. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when we first spoke on the phone, I said yes. to you, Melly, come on. Why <laughs> yeah. are there no Zoltan Fabri DVDs in the UK? Like, this is a film. Like, my journey of Hungarian cinema is actually probably very linked to the films that you've put out. Oh. Um, you know, learning about Miklos and, um, you know, Love by Karol Mark is like a really beautiful film. But yeah, Zoltan Fabri. Really underseen in the UK, um, a very classical filmmaker, less sort of avant-garde and experimental than Miklos, 
Um, but made some extremely important films about, yeah, very central themes to sort of European, Central European experience and history about collectivization, about, um, yes, you know, exactly. gender relations, uh, about the sort of political turmoil. His films are amazing. Um, what's the one you're putting uh, out? The one we're releasing in Hungarian is called Korintha, yeah. but in English it's called Merry Go Round, which is just beautiful. It's uh, it's in his letterbox top four, I think. <laughs> yeah, it? it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. So the intention of the collection was one from the fifties, one decades, from the sixties, yeah. one from the seventies. Uh, we could have put one from the eighties, but three was uh, all we could do, and we've done the forties with people of the mountains. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted the Fabri because, you know, one scene. It's very hard to forget certain sequences in the film, but also it's made in such a gripping manner mm. that film it's a very simple story it is yeah it's, um uh, basically is a, it a, almost like a romeo and juliet story but not quite but i mean it has a sort of different ending <laughs> yes that's true <laughs> um but yeah i mean basically but again as i said it has these interesting themes of like you know it's about um private landholders and then the co-op and you oh, know. and it's really yeah and i just Love the men in moustaches. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this central scene, which is like a sort of uh, wedding dance that's like interrupted, and there's this uh, klezmer tune that goes yes. on for like six minutes um, as the uh, son of the most staggering cinematography mm. I've ever seen in my life. The characters are getting like more sweaty Ready, as the yes. dance goes on. It's edited it's, it's, so beautifully, it, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like just, so, and I can't You don't get that in the Ford film. <laughs> no. No. I'm so glad you're so enthusiastic about that film because it really is something which I hope people... I mean, it's hard, you know, who will... Will people review it and choose a film or will they review the set? It's all very difficult mm. to know. But I think our audience understands clearly. And with merry-go-round, it might set or allow us to do more Fabri. Mm. And there's a Fabri film, which we'll do later, I don't know if you've seen, called The Fifth Seal. That was the first one I watched. Oh, okay. Um, So there are a few, actually, that uh, seem completely inaccessible. Um, Late Autumn, I think, is one. There's another one, um, which I think is specifically about the Jewish experience in Hungary as well, which the name escapes me right now. But yeah, just a, a truly brilliant filmmaker. Um, sorry, let's get back to Miklos, though. But it's because... the same. In the collection, there's a film called Current by Istvan Gal, which is also wonderful. And then there's Jancho and his the place where he broke away, in a sense, from the first set of black and white films, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's called Agnes Day. And, uh, so that was before the confrontation? That's uh, two years after. After. Okay. Sounds very thematically similar. It's about like a priest and the the revolution. Yes, so yes. it's it's it is very, the revolution. Very really. much the same. As it's the... it's more about, and in a way, the reason I wanted to include that one because there's another Yancho which we will do later. But the reason I wanted to include this straight away is it's also about the rise of fascism, mm. and in Hungary now that makes it much more uh, pertinent. And so it's basically about how people are, how, you know, slowly it changes. Mm. Um, That's the thing, it's a creeping thing, isn't it? Yes, and, you know, people who, it was a bit like Shop on the High Street, where, you know, it's about people who, 
if you're quiet and you don't protest, it's too late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's Hannah Arendt, the banality yes. of evil. Yes, it's uh, Hannah Arendt, yeah. you're right. So, yes, yeah, so that collection comes out, uh, ooh, Christmas present. Early December. <laughs> yes, Christmas present. Yeah, like great. Early December. And uh, um, what we're trying to do, because, you know, there are very few shops now, mm. obviously. And even online, you know, basically there's one major who controls it all. So what we're trying to do is, if you buy direct from our website, it's a bit cheaper than buying it in a shop. Because I really want people to see these films. When we started, that was the whole thing. I wanted everything to be no more than £10. Yeah. Because that was like, okay, I'll take a chance on this film. So it's a bit similar with this collection. You know, I, I want it to be a certain so that people can access it. Yeah. It's always been the case, hasn't it? It's a yeah, we've tried very, to very... always keep it. Because for the same reasons that, you know, nobody knew it, and I felt they, they would take a chance if we made it a, a price that was reasonable. Unfortunately, with Blu-rays, it's just become more expensive. Yeah, the margins are just... Of course. Yeah, it's become more expensive. And you know, um, yeah, I mean, again, maybe I shouldn't be saying it, but like, you know, Sony has the uh, trademark. Mm. So basically, you have to pay them a license fee for every... For the patent, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, Etc. I mean, you know, but that's... It's, you know, those are things we have to live yeah, with. Yeah, um, but that's why Blu-rays are... But again, it's, it's worth it. Mm. you know to have and also it encourages people to make good restorations so yes so that'll be in december yeah yeah just really exciting news we will also release much more hungarian cinema over the next year or two and hopefully we'll talk again on on some of those yeah hopefully so anytime so i think the last time i saw you in person maheli was speaking on stage with Pedro Costa a couple of days before lockdown <laughs> um, when okay. you were screening Vitalina Varela at the ICA. That was my last pre-lockdown film as well, actually, yeah. but I think a different oh, screening, okay. yeah. And um, got a very interesting series on right now in uh, partnership with the LRB, yes. um, online oh, screen talks, you. and we've got the god Jacques Rancière talking about Vitalina Varela at the end of December. Yes, it's sort of halfway through December. It's the last on the schedule. Yeah. I'll be there. I've never been so excited to be on a computer for a couple of hours. Um, how's, how's putting that been together? You've done it before, right? We haven't done it before. Okay. The LRB did. Okay. And I mentioned Gareth Evans. You know, Gareth is like the craziest curator you can find. And so he's been instrumental, you know, and he loves second run. So he's been totally instrumental in making this happen. And the whole intention was that you know, the film spread further because they can show it around the world. It's not restricted to the UK. Uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, even if we get 10 more people, that's 10 more people. It's in the green, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, they stay. With, I mean, the, the thing for Second Run, which we need is, once you find us, it's nice if you can stay, mm. which is the whole intention. How could anyone leave? Not to No, be, but you know what I yeah, mean. It's like... Uh, you have to, it's also very difficult to build, but very easy to, you know, if we put one film out that we don't really love, I don't know what would happen. Sure. You know, people would see through that immediately. You know, that one's for making money. You know? <laughs> the Eternals. Yeah. <laughs> How do yes. you get that? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, of course, the god of Hungarian cinema is Janjo for me. Mm. 
there is another filmmaker whose work I've been trying for a long time to get, and we'll see if something happens. It's a man called, he's dead, called Guri Feher. He only made two films before he died. Well, that's... One called Twilight and one called Passion. Twilight is playing... At... Is playing this weekend yeah. at Close Up. Yeah, that's right. In its yeah. remastered thing. Oh, it's with that collective. It's a guy called Stanley who does this thing called Liberated That's it. Cinema. That's right, and they just released yeah. a book about it. And they're releasing a book with various things in it. So if you are free, you know, do... I mean, you won't be able to see it any other way. Sure. And it's a remastered copy, which is what I've been waiting for. And we're playing a gig that night. <laughs> oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. We can oh, okay. go over. Okay. Yeah, that's, okay. that is very really well, tragic. You know, the, but... the entire intention now that there is a remaster is that yeah. hopefully we'll release it at some time. But Twilight is based on a Friedrich Dürrenmatt novel uh, about a serial killer. And Passion is... The American crime novel, The Postman, always rings twice. That noir oh, always being yeah. adapted yeah. again. Christian Petzold made a version of that. Oh, did he? Called, I didn't um, know that. Jericho. Oh, Jericho. Was um, that about? Yeah, yeah but it's sort like of. a Turkish yeah. immigrant in Germany ah, okay. plays the, um, I guess, the Italian character in the original okay. or whatever. So, um, uh, yeah. So anyway, so Yancho. Is the god? Yeah, <laughs> he's also the god to Belatar and all those gods. Well, the style is so clear, and obviously they sort of modify it, make it more like banal and trivial in <laughs> in tar, like yes. panning shots of Which glasses is... on the bar or whatever. <laughs> That's true. Um, but you know, it wouldn't have happened without yeah, without Yancho. You know, and you know, he completely says. Uh, there's a little story. Do you want to hear about Belatar? Yes, yeah. While we're at it, okay. So. Uh, Belatar, Turin Horse, this last proper film, Edinburgh Festival was playing it. And they had a new artistic director or a new director of the festival, whereas I'd been going for many years. So the, the, the people there rang me, a bit like the Simon Liang thing, and said, our director is wonderful, but he doesn't know enough about cinema. You know, he, he's more uh, the marketing guy, administrator, yeah. marketing, yeah. etc. Do you mind coming up and having a chat with Bellatar? <laughs> and I thought, uh, I'm not sure I want to do this. <laughs> um, I, you know, I was going to say no. And my partner Paula, she said, Melly, who would ever ask you to talk to Bellatar on stage?" And she was right. So I said, "Yes, I'll do it." So I go up and I meet him, and. He loves Yancho, he loves Fair, and he had a carte blanche where he was showing four films, and there were two Yanchos and two Fairs mm. there. And then I hadn't seen Turin Horse yet. So in this cinema one, one afternoon when they didn't have a film, mm. they showed it to me on the big screen. And I was sitting there, and Bella was sitting behind me, so I couldn't even... You know, With a baked potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and again, he was wonderful. He was so sweet, so kind. And I guess it's because they know we're not, you know, we don't want anything. Mm. We just want their thing to be good. Mm. So, Yancho then, we, all those days, when we did Yancho, I think I mentioned it to you. At the Curzon. At the Curzon. Lovely, lovely uh, events curator there called Verena, 
who's now lives in Germany and has started this thing called Wolf. I don't know if you've come across Oh, they put out a book about Peter Watkins. Yes, exactly. So Wolf is a cinema that they started after a lot of trouble, but that was what she wanted to do. And Wolf now is like, you know, it's it's a cinema on the list of people. It's in, I think it's in New Korotwerk, so it's in a, in a, you know, trendy area and all that. So Verena and Curzon came and said, wow, you're releasing Yancho. Shall we have a whole weekend of his films? I mean, it's, again, impossible now. I mean, not only shall we have a weekend of his films, but can we have a weekend of his films at all our cinemas in London? So... You know, for me, that was like, you know, just because I, I couldn't wait to meet Yancho. So I said, look, why don't we try and see if he will come across? And he was already in his 80s. So he came with his wife, uh, his son, Nika, who's a friend now, and his other son. And they all came. The Hungarian Cultural Center helped us get them over and uh, attended all the screenings. And we had a great translator to... And you saw this man who was in his 80s visibly getting younger and younger and younger. Because as, I mean, it's really like when people saw his films, you know, they came out and they said, oh, we've heard so much about you, but we've never seen your work. And now that we've seen it, it's like we know where Leone got his landscapes from. And, you know, all those things. And you could just see him. He was talking to the young people all the time. And then I think I told Sam that we hired a van and uh, uh, they sat at the back and Paula was the navigator and I was driving. And we went around Brighton, Cambridge, Edinburgh, everywhere because they all wanted to show his films. And then we did a screening of the Roundup in the Curzon Mayfair, which at that time was a single cinema. It's a great room. And it was terrific. Mm. And we we found a print which... There was a cinema called the Academy in London, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, where Marks and Spencers in Oxford Street is now. If you look at the thing, you'll see it has that Mm. frontage which could have been a cinema. Mm. So the Academy was owned by uh, a Hungarian couple. And so all Hungarian films, especially Jancho, played there. Wow. After that, you couldn't see his films Mm. anywhere. I mean, they were gone. And one of the reasons why DVDs are still important, I think, although a lot of independent labels are not releasing DVDs anymore, is that there will still be some films that will never be HD mastered and remastered. And if there are no DVDs, they'll be back to being lost again. Yeah. You know, it'll be the same thing as when digital came and all those films where there were prints were gone. The same thing will happen. So we continue to release DVDs. In some cases, we'll continue to release them, like The Fifth Horseman is Fear, um, both DVD and Blu-ray. But some will just do DVD because they won't stand up to a Blu-ray. Mm, sure. um, so when Yancho came at Roundup, we did a screening. It was a full house. And I don't know if you know Tony Raines, who is... Yeah, huge, huge fan. And he's a huge fan of Yancho. So Tony... It did the interview, and we found this print. The Academy Cinema Contemporary Films was a distribution label, and they had copies of all the films that the Academy did. So we found a 35mm print of Yancho's Roundup, 
And in the old, they used to have these old anamorphic lenses, mm. which not used much now anymore. But it was in that frame. And on that huge screen at the Curzon Mayfair. So we tested it in the morning. It wasn't perfect. But while I'm watching it, it doesn't have the opening sequence. As I know, because I've seen the film before, and we are putting it onto DVD, so the Hungarians have sent me the materials. And this print doesn't have it. And what happens, I don't know if you've seen the roundup? Yeah, I can't remember. Okay, so in the roundup, it starts the real film with images and oh, photographs of and the, st- yeah, yeah. Ab- about the setup. Yeah. And what they did in the UK was they, f- I guess they found that was difficult for audiences i don't know why but they did like a star wars scrolling you know in 1919 and you know that kind of stuff (laughs) so the print we had had that and not the original and yancho was going to be there so luckily we saw it so what we did on that screening was i said what we'll do is we'll tell people about this and i mean on stage and then we'll play the real opening from the DVD, mm-hmm. and then stop it, and then start the film. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. And it's like, those are the things which, you know, if you're just putting things out, you never, you know, you'll never have. Yeah. You know, that's part of the, you know, Yancho told me, yes, that's the one. That's the correct version. I don't know what this is. I mean, we were talking earlier about how all documentary is mediated, but I mean, all film experiences are mediated, oh. and especially if it's in a sort of curated context like that, where you're having to recover the, yes. you know, sort of unpick the yes, what's happening shenanigans in between. <laughs> the Star Warsification yes. of the roundup. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, that was quite, uh, it was quite shocking when I saw it, and it just came on with these words. Just literally like Star Wars scrolling up the screen. I don't know if we put it on the disc as an extra. I'm not sure. You've got Probably it. Probably not. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not sure. Mm, I'm not you would sure. have seen it yeah. if it was there. Anyway, so Yancho was such a happy man mm. when he came. And the great thing about him was that here are these films which are these black and white choreographed wonders. And he was still filming when he came here in, in his 80s. So he started a series of... Um, yes, what's it called? Grave Pepe Diggers. And like, something. like comedy yes. films. Yeah, or yeah. Mm. and it looks sort of like Roy Anderson or something. Well, looks... He was like, he was making comedies, musicals, sort of camera in your face, scatological, you know, all that. You'd never think this was the same person. <laughs> but he was, you know, he's working still. He had ideas still. I mean, he was really quite a special person. A true and legend of the 20th legend. century. So cinema. it's great that we can put his film into the box set. And then next year, there'll be more. Because Yancho for us is, you know, it's the now guy. kind of linked in a way. Um, and when they restore more, we'll release more for sure. Yeah, I haven't really seen any of his... I've only really seen well, you the can't sort get of classics the that, that you've put out, really. Mm, you stuff can't get like those. Allegro, Barbaro, The Tyrant's yeah, yes. Heart, stuff like that. Oh, even those. As it gets like yeah. more like sort of camp and colourful over yeah. time. There like, was one released here called Private Vices. Public Lives? Public so, Lives, so, that's it. So, yeah. This and kind that's of soft, very core sexy. Italian. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, it was an Italian co-production, yes. yeah. I think Mondo Macabro. 
the label right. released oh, it. Yeah. They did. <laughs> um, and, and I remember uh, Pete Toombs, who runs that label, uh, because, you know, I was sad I couldn't release it in a way. And he said, don't worry, that's the worst-selling DVD we've ever had. <laughs> um, okay. look, I only saw a still of it, but it looked quite a lot like Peter Greenaway from what I saw. Yeah, um, probably, I'm not sure yeah. how that would hold up, actually, in motion. But it's, Yeah, I mean, it, the, yes, because of the kind of settings. and the, Yeah, and yeah. just like very sort of stage-managed and like sort of mixing the sacred and the profane. Yes, exactly, yes, very much like. It's amazing how also Greenaway has influenced other people. Isn't it? And here, nobody cares for him. Everyone anyway. hates him now. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? It's shocking, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't do himself any favors. Or whatever, no. But. but then again, he's an artist. So, yeah, of course. You know. I'll watch anything he does. I don't care what he thinks of me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. Probably need to wrap it up soon. As okay. sad as I am to say it. Well, then the only thing I want to say is what I kind of mentioned earlier, which is that it is not one person. This sure. is. Uh, you know, I couldn't do it without Paula. I couldn't do it without a guy called Andy Townsend, who then left. But Chris Barwick, who's been, uh, we've been together 10 years now. And I was telling Sam that Matt Lucas was totally supportive when we started. Yeah. Yeah, he was very, yeah, he very much wanted it because he's the one who loved Nighthawks. I see. So for him, I Nighthawks think. was a seminal film because it allowed him you know, the ability not to be kept hidden and, you know, see a natural wave mm -hmm. because, you know, all that. So uh, he, you know, he was very, very supportive of us when we did that. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then, um, you know, the filmmakers, I mean, without them, there's nothing. And, and then, you know, like you all, it's like, People who come back and say, yeah, it's worth it, it's worth it. So it's, you know, it, it's all those things have to be working correctly. Otherwise, there's no, uh, yeah, otherwise it disappears. I was saying to you in the booklets, you always say, I guess to the living ones, um, thank you so much to insert director name here, but I'm sure they are as grateful to you for the work you do for film culture. And we are very grateful as well. And we are very grateful that you've joined us today. It's been, oh, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Oh. And so I hope we are friends as well. Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> um, so many things I'd love to ask you about. We've run out of time. but fine. We can do it over a cup of coffee. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. As Thanks. you said, we'll do it again next year as well. That would be great. That, I'd love that. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks so much for, for your generosity. Also.